and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, we are transitioning fully into ETSU football, and we're going to talk the Furman Paladins. Anyway, so Jay Santos, Mike Algar, we've talked hoops. We're going to talk, uh, I will say this, before we sort of shut the door completely on hoops, we have discovered a new fun segment uh, early next week, I think we'll break it out. But uh, we, we're both pretty pumped about it on, on an accident. Um, that I think we, that's how it always works. We always seem to like, hey, let's do this. And it's like, you know what, it'll be one of our best segments we've got. So. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. we we got a new segment there. That, that being said, that being said, we can talk a little foosball. I mean, it's going to be played. Wimby Green Junior Stadium. Test uh, results are still, uh, we're taping, what, Thursday morning? So, test results will be this afternoon. So, there could yeah, or could not. Here, right? Could <laughs> or could not be, well, I think there'll be enough to play, but there could or could not be one or two guys that may not be able to play. But, that being said, Furman is going to play Mike Gallagher game number four. ETSU clearly playing game number two. You would have to imagine advantage Paladins for just getting in more of a weekly rhythmic rhythm. Well, that's what, to a rhythmic rhythm, I like yeah, you that. like that. That's what Randy Sanders said last night, but also he made a good point on ETSU's side, gotten some time to get healthy. You can only imagine after, what, 454 days, you're the day expert here, it was like 454 or 455 days between games, your body is just not going to be used to the type of beating that it takes during a game, and it's kind of in different stages, having been an athlete in a much less contact-based sport at the collegiate level. I can tell you, even with something like baseball, you had your out-of-season shape, right? You'd lift and you'd run and you'd do all that, but then there was that much more demanded of you once you started practicing, and the one place where you really didn't have to ramp it up was in games, right? Because you practiced and ran and dove and did all this stuff in practice, where in a game, you're not really doing that much more. There's not somebody while you're trying to run and catch a fly ball in center field or dive for a ground ball at shortstop coming in to hit you that weighs 300 pounds. But in the case of football, that's exactly the case. So you can only imagine how some of these guys' bodies felt after that first game. You had the bye week, and so that probably took care of a lot of it. But you still do have some people hanging on that, again, not maybe used to the collegiate level and the type of size, type of athleticism, and the type of force that you can be hit with, and just the um, ebbs and flows of a game day. and So it's unfortunate that things happened the way they did, but Randy Sanders last night in the coaches' show made sure to say that, yes, Berman is going to be more rhythmically rhythmic, in your words, and ETSU is going to be healthier, fresher. Now, how does that translate against a very highly talented team in Furman? Is there going to be some rust there, even though it's only been 20 days, which I know you love the stat that the last time the Bucks had an in-season break of 20 days, it was 1969, of course, the Grantland Rice Bowl. I mean, there's no better coincidental, perhaps, but hopefully telling stat in the world than that if the Bucks can <laughs> have a year like they did that year. I think, what, 10-0-1 or something like that and beat Terry Bradshaw and Louisiana Tech. That would be simply fantastic. But – the early stages, much like the early stages of the Stanford game, will be very interesting because of just that. Is there rust to shake off? What will Furman do? Will they look like the more spry, ready, prepared team because of the fact that they have been able to play back-to-back-to-back weeks and ETSU has not? Yeah, I think that's the big question. And I think we saw – and Coach Taylor said so much um, after – well, before the game. He wasn't sure what exactly Sanford was going to do. And so some of that slow start was because they were preparing a little bit more for the run, then they scrapped all the run, went to the pass. The other thing is I think the speed and everything kind of got everybody, you know, because there was a lot of new names and faces. There was a lot, especially on the defensive line front. There were guys that Coach says, and we'll hear his sound bites. Um, we had our coordinator talk. Mike will uh, break that down for you for the pregame show. But, he basically said as much as, you know, guys were doing too much. They were trying to make tackles, doing whatever. The defensive line, I've talked about this a lot in the 50 technique, if you will, not to get too much X's and O's, but the defensive line is there to eat up as many bodies as they can and the linebackers run and make a play. That doesn't mean defensive linemen. We certainly saw Nasir player wreck havoc. We've certainly seen other defensive ends in ETSU, nose guards. Um, Tremont Farrell uh, can come in and make plays. It's not that. It's just – in certain instances, there's a job to do. And when you start doing 
not your job, then they weren't successful. When guys, he switched up. And, and Billy said it. Some of it was my fault because you know, the scheme was bad. Some of it was because the guys weren't used to the speed. Some of it was guys doing too much. Then we settled down, got into it, boom, everything went. I think there will be a little bit of those issues again, Furman. I think Furman's going to be ready to roll early. I think for the defense, it's going – I think the offense is fine. I think it's easier when you dictate pace, right? But when Furman comes at you with all the eye discipline things you have to do and be uh, mindful of, I think that could be the issue for ETSU. And I would caution, don't get fired up as a Buck fan if ETSU's off to a little bit of a sluggish start defensively while they catch up because of those facts. Well, and I think also, much like you said with Sanford, this is a little confusing with Furman simply because they are throwing it a lot more this year. They've never finished with more than 200 yards per game in uh, the time of Clay Hendricks there. It's what, now four years? Um, the first three years, they're below 200, and at one year, I think it was like 150 a game. They're at 240 a game. Now, that could be a trend, right? And you do have three games of tape now. It could be a trend that sti- uh, sticks around simply because Hamp Sisson is a very talented quarterback, the Southern Conference Student Athlete of the Week because of his performance in the classroom and on the gridiron. Uh, they hit the big play often, right? I mean, it's the lull you to sleep with, the run, all the misdirection, confusion tactics, and maybe this year you won't get quote-unquote lulled to sleep because they are succeeding more in the air, so you're more aware of it, but you make one mistake, and what Coach Sanders harped on last night in the coaches' show was eye discipline, right? I mean, that term that came up again and again and again, just don't let all of the smoke and mirrors and all the flashy stuff that happens before the play, or even some of it, you know, right when the play gets underway, stop you from doing your job, but I think there could be some there, too, because you've got a couple of very talented running backs. You're going to be concerned about Devin Abrams and uh, and Wynn, but when you've got what they're able to do now in the air and they're consistently having success with it more than in years past, I certainly think that the first quarter or so could still be a feeling-out process, not only because of the factors you talked about, just because of the fact also that Furman is doing things maybe a little bit differently or at least succeeding at a higher level in the passing game so far this year. Yeah, and they've got guys running – I mean, again, I've watched. Um, I do like that I misspoke early and, and said Mercer instead of West Carolina early, and Coach was all over me about that. Cause, he did. Because he, um, uh, he enjoys when I tell him I watch tape, and then I think he flexed on me to let me know how much tape he's actually watched. Right. And I would also point out it's his job more than mine, but that's okay. But um, I, I think when you watch those games, or at least the games I've watched, and you just simply look at stats, even if you watch zero games, they're averaging 17 yards a catch. Their top three targets are averaging almost 20 yards a catch and two guys over 20 yards a catch. So there are a lot of busted coverage. That's what that tells you. It's That's not a lot of, hey, we're just throwing slant route and guys are beating you. It's not a we're throwing a lot of go routes and there's jump balls. That, that's a lot of busted routes. And Furman has always done a nice job of playing sort of the three-back system without really having three backs and having one or two options sometimes having three options in the run game a lot of times it's more of a a two option with it with a sort of a dummy call or you know one back's going one way but really the option plays going the other way like they do it's a lot like air force that's and and it makes sense since clay hendricks um sort of comes from that background leaving Furman there but Furman was always kind of that way they were never really citadel wofford wishbone type principles they were you know a three-back option-type run game principle, but they always had the ability to pass, throw the ball, and do some other things. So I think the big thing is they're getting people in their eye discipline in the wrong spots, and they're getting you know, the ground game going, and then all of a sudden they play action and they hit you over the top because the safeties and the linebackers are looking different areas or paying attention to the wrong keys or whatever it may be. But there are plenty – of examples where that is happening. Now, for whatever reason, Furman has been way more successful in the first half than they have in the second half. Now, the first two games, and that includes Western Carolina VMI, they just they had seven points against Western, excuse me, Western Carolina in the second half. They had none against VMI in the second half. And they were able to pick up 20 fourth-quarter points um, against Sanford, and they picked up 14 in the last six minutes in sort of a desperation mode and to be honest bad tackling by Sanford and a lot of that but still Furman's had its struggles against ETSU um, last year you know they they, pace, they basically won the second half seven to three and so 
the one thing I will say is Furman has struggled in the second half to score. But what is amazing to me, last year they had five second-half shutouts. This year they've already got two second-half shutouts. So they've been able to stop teams from scoring in the second half, even though they have struggled in the second half. And so will ETSU be able to sort of be able to get Furman off its schedule, off its play action? And VMI was able to do that because they had nine sacks. Furman's been sacked ten times this year. Nine came against VMI. So can ETSU, and I don't know, you know, nine's a big number. I'm not trying to say ETSU has to have nine sacks. Had but, eight in the first game. Well, that's true. Good point. But if they had five or more, I think that's going to be successful because the one thing about uh, Sisson that we do know for sure is that when he is getting pressured, he is loose with the football. He has made some horrific throws under pressure that I'm sure are making coaches cringe that uh, don't even pull for Furman just watching it. And VMI had a couple opportunities at extra interceptions that they just dropped, and Coach Sanders asked him during a break. I was like, hey, I was just curious. Did you see the two drops by number seven, the safety for VMI? And he was like, you know what's amazing to me? He said, the, you know, people ask me what the biggest difference between sort of the FBS and FCS level is. And he said, you know, a lot of times I was thinking maybe it's the line, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. Size. He, he, yeah. he goes, it's the secondary dropping footballs <laughs> is the biggest shock to me. He goes, there are more, when I watch tape, interceptions dropped than any other thing than, <clears throat> that he could come up with. And so I think the one advantage ETSU has, and I think you would agree with this, is that the ball skills for ETSU secondary has always been there. And will be there, I think, especially because we know Tyree Robinson, as a safety, can make a lot of interceptions. Had five a couple years ago. Mike Price was a cornerback converted to safety, so he he's going to be able to make a grab. And we know DeLintz and Elijah Huzzy, even his first game, can make grabs. So if the ball is thrown up for grabs carelessly, I feel pretty good about ETSU winning the turnover war, and that's going to be a huge number. Yeah, and that's something Randy Sanders talked about last night, too. Turnovers, a place that he thinks the game can change. Kicking, third downs, and red zone being the other ones. Now, maybe you can say that every weekend, right? Like, Coach is very good about keeping pretty generic with his keys to the game and not getting too far uh, in-depth to give anything away leading up to game time. But if those truly are the keys, then this is going to be a big task for ETSU because Furman's uh, the best on third down defense in the league, second best in the league uh, on third down conversions offensively. Uh, and three for three on field goals, 11 to 12 on extra points, and they're the only team to score in the red zone every time they've been there this year, 10 for 10 with seven touchdowns. You know, you look at some of these stats that we talk about, and for Furman, I think it can be maybe a bit more representative, right, because you've got your three games of the, what, I mean, eight that you're going to play this year, so you're almost halfway through the season technically, and in a given year you're not going to play more than 11 or 12 football games anyway. With ETSU, it's tough to tell. Are you going to get – Probably not eight sacks, right? But if you can apply the pressure, whereas Furman has only gotten three sacks in three games, which is crazy to see because Adrian Hope is someone that in the 2018 season was, you'd have to say, one of the best freshmen in the nation. Um, 15 sacks led all of FCS. I think he finished fourth in the freshman of the year voting. But he was about as good as it gets. So that's definitely an area on both sides of the ball, not just when ETSU is on the defensive side, but when the Bucks are – on offense and protecting Tyler Idell or Brock Landis. You know, Coach, once again last night, left the door open to see some other quarterbacks aside from uh, Tyler Idell, though I don't think Tyler did anything to loosen his grasp on the quarterback position. Coach was quick to say, he's our guy, but Cade's doing some good things, Brock's doing some good things, it's some smoke screens being thrown up, but you did see Brock Landis in that first game, uh, if only for a couple of moments. So, there are, in those keys that Coach Sanders talked about, some, I think, things to be worried about for ETSU. This is a Furman team that has had a lot of success under Clay Hendricks. They're ranked, what, number 16 in the country right now coming in. So that's not by mistake. They only have the one-point loss to VMI. It's kind of a fire-versus-fire matchup up front. I'm excited to see both running backs in terms of the top running backs with Devin Wynn and Quay Holmes because you're also facing, and again, take these stats with a grain of salt because ETSU's played one game, but... Uh, the top two rush defenses in the league, and I, I think with Furman having some really impressive size on that right side, Jordan Harris, Reed Kroger, and Bo McKinney, uh, all very experienced as well, all over 300 pounds. Uh, that's an area to keep an eye on is runs right, and again, Furman's going to do a lot of 
runs kind of everywhere in misdirection where you think it's right, it's probably left or it's going to go in the air. Um, for ETSU on the offensive side, are they able to steamroll again? Quay Holmes, you know what you have. Jacob Sailors, you know what you have. One of the questions on the coaches' show last night was, are you going to get both on the field? An ongoing one for Coach Sanders. but It's one you've loved. I, I love it. I've been hammering it for almost a year now, so I was a big fan of uh, the caller. I think it was uh, Donald. Daniel, Donald. That's Donald. Right. He, he came in with some energy. Uh, he was. He came in hot, but he was he ready did, to go. He, did. He, he wanted a, a can opened up, and he omitted uh, the entire saying. But I think Coach Sanders, you and I, knew exactly what he was talking about. So who wins that battle up front? And for ETSU, right now, you look at what they have in that front three, front four, however you want to phrase it, depending on what the linebackers do in a given play, but that's been, at least coming into the year and looking at the depth now, an issue. You know, I think that they're equipped to stop Hamp Sisson. Are they equipped up front to stop Devin Wynn and the run attack of this Herman Palmer team? And they, they come plentiful. You know, Wynn's the guy that really gets all the sort of the love, and, and he's a 2,000-yard rusher. You'd assume he would. Uh Abrams, Roberto, Anderson, Thomas is a speed demon. Remember last year it was Corey Watkins was a guy that could fly. Now it's Kendall Thomas. If they give him the ball, they're trying to get on the edge. They're trying to hit a big play. And then maybe the most underrated tight end so far in the nation is Ryan Miller. Seven catches, four for touchdowns. He's a reigning SoCon um, player of the week. And, again, he's averaging like 21 yards a catch. And his long was 73 last week was on a tight end screen. Ooh that he was able to break a couple tackles, and then he outran the rest of the defense. So he's not like your average tight end, I think, when you think of a tight end. And the game's changed a little bit, right? Speed is, is a little bit more of the game. But Ron Miller, I mean, he's listed at 6'2", 221, and he outran the entire secondary That's and pulled away. That's my least favorite play in any offense of Arsenal is the tight end screen. But when you have someone like him, it can definitely be effective. It, 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 it was very interesting. Matter of fact, they've scored on a few different screens. Um they scored on one against VMI as well, and they got one against Western Carolina, but three different guys have scored on screen. So the screen game is certainly a part of their offense because they've thrown three touchdown screen passes to three different players. So it's something that you should be expecting, and basically if ETSU is hitting home, that would be the thing. I think it would slow down the pass rush, right? If they are getting to um, Sisson, all twice. of a sudden, yeah. boom, hey, somebody let me go. Am I smart enough to recognize that, you know, there's a reason why they did that. So I think Ron Miller's right now having the best Southern Conference season as a tight end. Three games, four touchdowns on seven catches. I mean, and, and gaudy numbers. So they certainly have to watch out for him. I think he can't get lost. I think it was the game where Austin Herrick sent the school record uh, for passing yards, and I think it was like a 56-35 game or whatever that was. The, the, the rare onside kick for a touchdown, if you remember, for yeah. Furman. But uh, that was a game where the third-string tight end caught two touchdowns against ETSU. It was one of those deals. So they use their tight ends a lot. ETSU certainly likes to use their tight ends. There's some good mismatch advantages, I think, especially if Furman's running the football, and ETSU has to be in the base because of obviously Miller has some speed to him. Now, for a long time, it was Jake Walker was the backup. He's now listed technically as third string, so I'm kind of curious what Ben Page. I haven't seen him a lot in the pass game yet. Maybe he's more of the blocker, but I think the tight ends will be – Huge. And then special teams is the one thing I think ETSU has a real good advantage. Furman's already lost the game because they missed an extra point. And, and granted, the extra point happened in the first half, but they didn't score again. They lost 14-13 VMI. They've given up a punt return for a touchdown. They've given up a 65-yard return on a punt. They had another one that was almost 70 yards but got called back on a penalty uh, against Sanford. They've yet to get a touchback on, uh, on a kickoff this year, so they're giving up returns. Now, their coverage has been – uh, fairly good because the average starting position is at the 22-yard line. And so we'll see what gives because we heard Coach Sanders last night on the coach's show. You know, I, I just don't like fair catching. I want <laughs> – I got Quay Holmes. I got Jacob Sailors. We need more I, of that. I want them to make a play. Yes. So something's going to give. ETSU, if, if they give up a score or certainly to start uh, the first or third quarter, they're going to get a kickoff at some point. ETSU will try to return that. Uh, punt game, uh, the punter is getting good yardage. The problem is I think – um, Bleak Road's issue is he's hit a couple of low liners, and that has led to some returns. As you know, Mike, if you can't get the hang time right, can't get the defense down there. He's averaged almost 45 yards a kick, so certainly that number's pretty good. But I really feel like that's an, an area where ETSU could have a huge advantage in. Now, Furman does have a very talented kick and punt return, Dewan Bell. I think most people remember him 
because he he took took the kick and knee uh, took a knee on the two instead of the fair catch, yeah. led to the safety loss. He was a true freshman then. He certainly learned. And again, uh, I've gone out of my way to defend him. That was the first year of the rule, and we saw ETSU had two uh, blemishes trying to figure out how to execute the fair catch back then. I think teams have figured that out now. It's not a big an issue. Although, wasn't it Sanford that the deep guy called for a fair catch? The up back caught. Oh, yeah, you weren't there. So the uh, opening kickoff of the game, the deep back called for the fair catch. The up back stepped backwards and caught the ball. So because he didn't call the fair catch, the ball was dead at the 12-yard line instead of getting oh, at the 25. That so okay. so that it, which is the same rule that they got – Chattanooga on, except the guy for Chattanooga wasn't calling for a fair right. catch. He yes. was pointing at the ball, yes. and he went back and reviewed it. What was that, 2019, where they just got the Oh, no, that was this fall. They, this fall. The That's kick right. return against Western Kentucky, right? Yeah, Western Kentucky should have won the game. Yeah, oh, <sighs> Yeah, it's the one time I, I might have accidentally for a few seconds felt sorry for Chattanooga. Might have. It was a I don't wanna, way to lose it. It was. It, it, honestly, I, w- I don't know what I would do in a booth if that got reversed. One more thing. Uh, two least penalized teams in the league in terms of yardage now. One game for ETSU, but if that can continue for the Bucks, I mean that's going to be a pretty noteworthy thing because since football's been back, they've ranked last in the league in penalty yardage, third to last the year before in 2018, kind of middle of the pack in 2015, 16, 17. But to be able to shave 20, 25 yards off of that penalty yardage this year would be absolutely huge. When it's been at its worst, it's up around 60 yards per game more often around that 40 or 45 mark, just 15 in the first game, where Furman, over the three games, has averages 25 yards per game um, in terms of penalties. I want to give you a little bit of trivia here. Don't look at the screen. I see you looking at the screen. You're cheating. You're cheating. You're a cheater. In 1997, ETSU went into Paladin Stadium and set two records in a 30-point victory. October 25th, the date. They scored 48 unanswered points. What were the two technical records? Because unanswered points is not technically stated. They're stadium records and still stand to this day. I was what, looking at some history. What, the series is very interesting. Was it rushing yards? It was not. 16th-ranked Paladins, funny enough. That was a massive second-half comeback. It was. Um, and it wasn't rushing yards. How about... Fourth quarter points, 34 oh, fourth wow. quarter points. And for an opponent, 58 points was yeah, a record. I, is a record. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I, a freshman? I sh- You're a freshman college? I should, I should have let know. What do you remember I, about your freshman year? <laughs> actually, that would probably be my, third, uh, my second sophomore year. Okay. So <laughs> that, that's fair. But um, yeah, I shouldn't own the 58 off the bat because I remember reading that last year. But the points, I don't remember. But I, it was very interesting because – went to that game. Uh, Mike Scott, who's a talented safety, actually was suspended for that game and rode down, I believe, with a few of us from the athletic department because he couldn't travel with the team. So that's the only reason I remember this game quite well. And the there were a couple turnovers, but there were a couple quick hitters, but a huge game by Brandon Walker and by Brian Edwards running the football. Is really what I, besides Mike Scott not playing, turnovers in the fourth quarter, and then ETSU capitalizing very quickly. That, that's about all I remember of that. Three years later, mm-hmm. 2000, I believe it was in the Dome, had knocked off a ranked team since that 1997 game against Furman, who made the game-winning kick for the Bucks. <sighs> that you have to know. Uh, Jerry Chapman. Oh, get out of here. It wasn't Jerry Chapman? It was not Jerry Chapman. Initials are the same. First initial, last initial, the same. Oh, clutch goodness. kicks. Known for his clutch kicks. <laughs> Not J.J. German, you're I, wrong. I know, I know, I know. Hold on. <laughs> oh. Sixth-ranked Furman upset 23-21 to 21, October 21st, 2000. Game-winning kick. Come yeah. on, Jason. No, no, no. no, no I, 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 it was the same, same that uh, uh, kicked game-winning field goal to end the program, right? That's uh, right. Oh, my gosh. He's a local boy, too, Come from on. Knoxville. Hold on. Come <laughs> on. He's from Knoxville. <laughs> Come on. I, he came last year. I talked to him for a while. Oh, my gosh. Why am I drawing a blank? This is bad. This is terrible. Mm. CC. CC. Initials CC. Oh, my gosh. I'm even giving you the initials. Come on. I know it. I'm, I know. It. I need to, I'm glad Matt Wilgham is on vacation not listening to this right now. <laughs> oh, um, Matt. Please give Jay a I mean, cause all, here's I could see the number. 
and I could see him throwing his helmet after the game of the game <laughs> against the Citadel. <laughs> I can see all of it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I got it highlighted for you. Here it is. Uh, I can't even see that far. No, you can't. Conchellis. Conchellis. Oh, it's so bad. That is so bad. I am very disappointed in that. Uh, Jerry Chapman was 96, 97. Yeah, that would make sense. He would have graduated by then Conchellis. Yeah. It's very interesting, though. So uh, you've got all these like great victories against Furman, and of course the one you talked about with the safety, Austin Harris comeback, you know, just a couple of years ago. But I think the Paladins lead like twenty six to eight in the series, don't they? Uh, yes, twenty six to eight, and in Johnson City, ETSU's five and eleven. Ugh. Now, Green Stadium, you know what they are? One and zero. One and zero, baby. <laughs> it's all matters. One zero in Green one Stadium. Oh. All right, here we go. Let's uh, when we come back, we got a very special fail downs oh, wow. after this. Santa Sackick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last seventy years. Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Well, you have to know where I'm going with uh, fail number one. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, if you've been looking at any news in sports, that Dak Prescott signing a four-year, $160 million Wait a minute, wait a minute. Say it with me. Championship. Oh, my gosh. One playoff win. Four years at $160 million with record-breaking numbers all over the place. $66 million signing bonus. Just give me Fatty Fitzpatty. $126 million guaranteed. Sounds logical. He's going to make $75 million on that deal in year one, which is more than Patrick Mahomes is going to make in the first two years of his mega deal. It's worth half a billion dollars. Makes sense. All all this makes sense. So for, for Jerry Jones. Let me just Not for us. He did say, did you see his quote after? He said, boy, if yes. there's one person I'm happy that took advantage of me financially, it's Dak Prescott. Oh, and I thought it was going to be one of his ex-wives. Uh, no? I, did you also see Michael no. Irvin on Stephen A's World uh, screaming about how Dak is the best leader and this is the greatest signing? In the, oh, that could have been a fail in itself. Do I we think that Michael Irvin still gets paychecks from Jerry Jones? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think so, too. Yeah, okay. no doubt. I'm just throwing it out there. I could have had just an all-fail downs on Dak Prescott's contract and the reaction to it, but I just want to drive home the point here. Who would you take, Dak Prescott or Aaron Rodgers? Right to second? Don't think that or, Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay, before you do this game, is it quarter? Win a game tomorrow. Oh, Rodgers. Dak close. or Deshaun Watson? Watson. Dak or Patrick Mahomes? Patty. Dak or Josh Allen? Josh. Dak or Russell Wilson? Russ. Dak or Tom Brady? Just want a Super Bowl. Tommy. And then we get a little bit more murky. Dak or Lamar Jackson? To win a game, now if it's a playoff game, you might want to not want to take Lamar. But Dak has won one playoff game. I mean, so is Lamar. So they're probably... Lamar. Lamar. Yeah, Lamar. Yeah. <laughs> Lamar. So, okay. so already, let's see, he's already the set, one, two, three, four, I, I, five. Can I say he's this? the eighth best quarterback. No, no, I, I was going to say if he's in the top ten, I, I was going to say he's probably ten. So here, here's my and, other one. And I don't have a list right well, no, in front of me. Here's my other one okay. that I think would be in the running for that ten okay. spot. I have never liked him, but he has had a good couple of years. Dak or Ryan Tannehill? I have Tannehill. I tell you, yeah, and some of it is about team and fit, and Tannehill's in the perfect Yes, perfect. I would take Tannehill because he knows what he's doing there. Uh, Dak or Kyler Murray? Maybe the upside's higher with Kyler, but you're not sure. Yeah, so if we play tomorrow, so this is interesting. So if we just play tomorrow, right. who am I taking? You're not going to believe this. I'm going to say Murray. Yeah, that, I don't disagree. I don't hate okay. that. And then Dak or Justin Herbert, who had arguably one of the greatest rookie seasons. And yeah, that's true. But I, 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 
probably take Dak. I'm going to take Dak okay. on that one. I okay. am going Dak on that. And then I didn't include Drew Brees because is he still in like I, a weird right. limbo between retirement? I would take Dak over anybody who's starting for the Saints right now. Okay. Well, yeah, right. I, mean, uh, I don't even know who it is. Is it Jameis? Is it Taysom? I'm still going Dak. I threw, ba- I threw Baker Mayfield in here just for just for fun. That's probably a take Dak in that case. I, right? I, I still would take Dak, yes. Okay. So you have him 10th. If you have him behind Tannehill and Kyler Murray. Yes. And, and, and that, you know, again, without knowing all the list and putting too much thought process in it, I, I think, and again, I'm not even saying he's still not maybe 10 to 12 or 13 range. I don't know that, Kurt I don't know that he's 7 to 10. I'll have to take him over Kurt. Well, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Kirk apologist. But like, I'm going to take Dak at, over any New England quarterback right now. I'm looking at the rest of the over list. Over any Jet I'm, quarterback. Matt over, Ryan, I'd probably take Over Dak. any Miami quarterback. Bill Rivers retired. Derek Carr, he probably take I would take Dak. Dak. Yeah. Matthew Stafford, I'm not a believer in the trip. Okay, now Matthew Stafford at um, Detroit, I would take Dak. I'm kind of curious because he's going to have a lot of weapons. But, again, right now, not knowing anything else, I would go Dak. But four weeks into the season, I can maybe be swung on that one. Big Ben, kind of trending down or a little bit older. Yeah, the game, in, you know the Super Bowls. well, you know, and I'll say this: if you look at Big Ben's start to the seasons, he's been ridiculous. So the start of the season, I'm going to take Ben. The end of the season, I'm going to take Dak. Can I do that? Can you split it? I don't think you can do that. So here's my point: I'll take Dak. You got him as the tenth best quarterback in the league, and he's going to make seventy five million dollars next year. <laughs> I mean, I just, it's all about value what, to the franchise. It's all about value what, to the franchise. What, what value is he providing? I mean, you could put any quarterback in that stadium, and ninety thousand people are still going to show up, and a lot of them would win more. Dak or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick wins some games. He's still slinging it around with that beard. I love Fatty Fitzpatrick. I hope he goes to New England. Unbelievable. Second fail. I don't know if you saw this. This is maybe a pros versus Jays. Have you ever had a panel of a set dropped on your back in general? Mm. Or been hit by anything more than 200 pounds? Uh, Not by more than 200 pounds. I've had a, a, a light, like one of those little pop-up stand-up lights land on me, but that's clearly not 200 pounds. So, no. That's still not fun. No, it was not. But on EFC, ESPN FC radio, I guess a broadcast, it was a telecast because I saw the video, Carlos Ordoz hit by a falling piece of the set that looked to me like it was a good few hundred pounds. Absolutely massive. A couple of seconds passed, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on the bigger fail. Now, you got to be a professional, right, if you're the main host. And they cut sure. to a shot of him on camera after this panel falls. And what looked to me like it split this poor man in half. And incredibly, we're not dancing on the grave, right? We wouldn't have it be in fail downs if it were actually sad. Apparently, he's totally fine. I have no idea how. Has a bruise on his back. And then he said a bump on his nose, but it's not broken. If you watch this video, and if this were... A, speaking of telecasts, if we were broadcasting this visually, we would have it. There's no real point in playing the audio, but it looks like the bottom half of his body stays in place and the top half just whiplashes and his face goes like through the deck. It is just miserable to watch. So they cut to the main host. Mm-hmm. He's looking over for a couple seconds at the guy and then he says, and this is a uh, Spanish language program, so I don't know exactly what he said. But he looks at the camera and closes the show. Nobody Now, off camera is Carlos Ordoz, who was crushed by this massive panel. He looks into the camera and closes the show, and they fade to black, and he's sitting there, like, kind of waiting for them to do so after a couple seconds. And I'm assuming he ran over there and helped after, but is it good or bad that he sat there, closed the show, didn't run over to help? Obviously, the main fail is on whoever was supposed to make sure whoever that rigged the system sure yeah, yeah whoever so so let, let's put this into context we're sitting right here there's some massive equipment right above you right on. right and if that thing falls on you and we're in the middle of the podcast i would have to be a pro and close the show <laughs> I mean, i'm just so it's not on me that that fell i mean I, it's not on the host it's certainly the fail is on whatever but i think well, definitely i think you have to be and, and here's here's another reason why i would close the show because in the back of my mind i'm going mike's about to get paid He's about to get Dak oh, Prescott sure. money, and I'm going to close the show and be a pro and then see what can Mike do for me later with all the money he just made. That, that, that's but what don't I would you do. think I'd be bitter that you closed the show and didn't help me while there's hundreds of I mean, I think you're a pro. I think you'd be fine with that. I mean, if something fell on me like a big bat of honey mustard, are you running over here to help me? No. No, you're not. You would lick no, yourself clean. Well, that's fine. That's my that. point. I would leave you okay. to your own devices there. Right. Uh, I think it's a huge fail, obviously, on the set, but – 
gosh, I saw a couple comments that were criticizing the main host. Like, imagine seeing a guy maybe get killed on set and you sit there and close the show. You do got to be a professional. It was only maybe 10 seconds, but what if those 10 seconds were life and death? I don't know. It made me very uncomfortable. Third fail. The NCAA announced yesterday that you need five players to play a yes. basketball game in the I'm NCAA glad you tournament. did this. I'm glad you did this. Go ahead. Thank you, Dan Gavitt, the senior vice president of basketball at the NCAA. He clearly does know it well. You need five players to play basketball, Jay Sanos. I don't know if you're aware. I, and I guess they're assuming nobody, at this point you just tell the referees, try not to foul anybody out. We're on national television. It's a billion-dollar contract. Just let the four walk-ons and the one scholarship guy make it through. I, I don't. They also said they haven't decided if you need a coach. So you could have five players with no coaches. That has not been decided if any coach has to be there for the game. So if you read further in the article, right now they've just said you need five players. And at the end of the article it says we asked about a coach, and they said they'll get back to us. So there's a chance (laughs) that zero coaches would be on the sideline and you would only have five guys running their own team. This is what the NCAA tournament is all about, Mike Gallagher. And I, I do understand, right, that they're setting the minimum. Billion dollars. And everything, and I get it. They but need money. The headlines were hilarious. Just, Gavitt says you need five players to play basketball game. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I have been watching. I, I guess I was watching, like, 12-player basketball. Like, amazing. You need five. I think in the SoCon was it. And, again, these are just, like, roster. Most were because eight. Because of coronavirus, it was eight, right? Most yeah, were so. eight. Five, five I love, actually. I'm, I'm saying it's a fail just because the headlines were just like, all right, five players play basketball. Okay, it's like saying 11 players play football or whatever, you know. But in reality, I actually do kind of like this because I would love to see some weird stuff happen in the NCAA tournament. Like, if you have headlines of this team has five players coming in, you're going to tune in because you don't know if you're going to get down to, remember, Minnesota almost like, that's right, five to three. Against, yeah, it was an Alabama or whoever it was. They, and they only had three guys left. And they came back, and they only great. ended up losing it for me now by like 15, lost by like four or five. So I want to see some weird stuff. You're going to tune in because of the intrigue, especially if there's no coach. Like, you're right, they do need money. There, there is a huge motivation there, but let's see some weird stuff in the tournament. Um, I think we will. Fourth fail. I, uh, I do hate to do this, but I'm just not a good person. Ten seconds to go. Now down to six. He makes the move. And a block by Ryan. Ryan across midcourt. Oh, man. Here's a long one. Titanic music under anything, and you're watching the replay. Not see, yeah, you know, kind of. I mean, it. By the way, it was very clear that they were calling that game remotely because the, the winning call came like two seconds after the buzzer beater. But oh, what a way to lose a game. We're in fail downs, right? But I have just unreal amounts of sympathy for that kind of loss, like open floor oh, block so shot by You know, what's crazy about this was I had talked to Coach Forbes after the Wofford game. And he sent me a message and was like, are you watching this? Or are you, and I'm like, yes. I'm Actually, I was just got back to Johnson City and was in the dome, right outside the dome in the parking lot watching the last uh, 30 seconds of the Mercer-Wofford game. And so he was like, oh, what were they doing in the management? So I asked him. I said, I know if you're tied, right, you kind of hold. And if you're down one, 16, you're trying to score fast or whatever. So they're tied, and he said, you know, you probably still want to take a shot with four or five seconds so that you have a chance at an offensive rebound because the chances of the defensive rebound and this 80-foot heave is, you know, not good. What he probably didn't factor in was the block shot at the free throw line, kick ahead, and then you only got like a 24-footer for the game as opposed to that. So ironically, I knew exactly how this was going to play out because it was just a couple of days ago. And uh, the math of everything is correct. You just can't count on an individual great defensive play that sort of stalled that. But And it happened to our guy Davian, which is even uh, more sad. And the Buck fans had kind of tried to uh, turn the page, ETSU, and find something to pull for. So they were 
pulling for Wake, then I could feel the disgustedness of how that game ended. Now we've jumped on the Oral Roberts uh, bandwagon, which, by the way, my guy Adam Hildebrand, uh, great call of the tap-in in the semifinal win against the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State over there in the Pentagon Center in uh, Sioux Falls. And uh, if you need another reason, his wife, uh, grandparents from Tri-City. So he comes to Tri-Cities quite a bit, and uh, he comes by the Dome a lot. So if you want to pull for somebody, or Roberts, people, jump on the bandwagon. Here we go. 77 all, David Williamson blocked, and then like a 30-footer from the right wing. I mean, just a dagger to a tougher season for Davian, Coach Forbes, the rest of the staff there. I am going to, A, uh, try to make sure that he doesn't drive to the Tri-Cities and wring my neck for putting this and fail down. But, B, I do actually believe this. And, you know, I've been uh, a big Forbes backer. And look at that. I mean, you're, you're, look at you stopping and it starting. Is, it's, it's like, like 30. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, I said like 24. I shorted him quite a bit. Logo, it's yeah. like a 30, 32 the sponsor logo. Like, it's pretty impressive. But I, I really do think that this team is going to be at that 21 mark within the next year or two. Uh, it was a really, really tough season for him, And there is – going to be an adjustment period, right? And Wake doesn't have necessarily, at least since, you know, the Chris Pauls, the Tim Duncan, they don't have the the history, the legacy. It's going to take a little bit of time, but if there's somebody that can do it and come back from this, turn it around, it's Coach Forbes. I, I just want to say, Trey Wirtz, the best thing of that wasn't the game-winning shot. It was the amazing ability to take the mean chest bump and his legs buckle and him not fall. I thought that was impressive. <laughs> Did you also see that he like started walking it off right when it left his hand. I mean, this man knew that it was dead center. That's how I do my putting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hey, do your crunches too? You walk them off before the so, start. So, no, <laughs> well, that's fair too. No, but uh, anybody who plays golf with me, if I, uh, every putt I hit, I drop the club, put a one finger in the air, Joe Namath style, and walk off the green whether it goes in or not. So, yes. And occasionally it goes in. So, you know, so occasionally, occasionally, occasionally. Steve Forbes is on his way to Tri-Cities to punch me right in the face. I can't wait to watch it. Bold prediction. Steve Ford punched him in the face. That's going to be mine after this timeout. Santa Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember, as long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. You know it. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Page four is L O L. Why would you do that after Steve Ford? L O L the way for us. We'll be back in the blue and gold. Unbelievable. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Do you dabble in salad? Love salad. Do you really? I do. I eat a lot of salad. Do you really? Mm -hmm. It's not. I mean, sometimes I make it unhealthy with what I do to the salads, but uh, everyone was mad. Southern Conference Tournament, when we first get there, it's like, oh, salad. I'm over there destroying it, and people are just staring at me. I'm like, just because just I look like this, I mean, I don't like a salad. <laughs> I mean, I might have had two cups of banana pudding afterward, oh, but I'm yeah. just saying. Ironically, I bet I eat worse than you eat, just on a day-in, day-out basis. Right now, I'm going to say it's not even close, yes, because, and luckily my wife doesn't listen, but, you know, wives go through these food plans, preparedness, this, that, and others. So right now, it's difficult for me to eat bad. But, uh, so yes, you are. But once, uh, like, you know, she hits the road, like she did in February for about five days, it was disgusting what mm. I did to my body. Burnt pizza rolls exploding out of mm. the pocket everywhere. Of course it is, which you hate. Bold predictions. Yep. And you are up. Yep. Say it again. I think it's. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you say it again. 16 and a half, 15 and a half? It is. You're at. Who's going first? I, I can go first. I don't care. I'm going to, uh, for the game prediction, bold prediction, one is greater than zero. That's true. It is. Quay Holmes, number one. Devin Wynn, number zero. Mm. 50 or more yards, line of scrimmage, more Holmes over Wynn. How's Wynn in the passing? Uh, I think he's fifth on the team in catches. Let me check that. Let me, let me check I thought that. he was like third or fourth. At least last year, I think he finished like. Uh, he 
so much, but number 20, Wofford, is going to Sanford. Yep. Found out yesterday that Sanford still leads the all-time series by quite a bit, which is shocking to me. And they've won the last two. So I'm going to take the one and two Sanford Bulldogs over the ranked Wofford Terriers. The Terriers are favored on the road at Sanford. I'm going to say the Sanford Bulldogs are going to make it three in a row over the Terriers. Can Sanford win a close game? I mean, they, they have They do not. They many. try. They try not to. It is incredible. Remember that double overtime loss to Tennessee Tech? That was what two years? I guess technically last year, quote unquote, 2019. BMI lost in overtime. Mercer lost in overtime and three overtimes. I mean, <laughs> and they've lost two this year. I mean, they what? They blew out 55-27 Western Carolina. Everybody's going to blow out Western Carolina this year. Then the seven point loss here. Seven point loss to Furman. Ah, wow. Uh, okay. Stanford uh, Bulldogs. See you. At least 15. Of the top 25 teams in men's basketball are going to lose between now and Monday's show. 15 of the 25. It's conference tournament, tournament season. Time, sure. It gets crazy. There are going to be some teams that play each other that are ranked. Okay, so I've got a little bit of help there. But there are other teams. Uh, I think Loyola Chicago comes to mind. Um, if they were still ranked, I can't remember if they were or not. But Drake was ranked at one point, but I think they lost a couple, so I think they dropped out. Anyway, point being, a lot of the conference tournaments are done. Now, not a lot of the teams that would be ranked. I get that. But I don't think even all top 25 play over these next four days. Like well, Gonzaga, Gonzaga would not because they're Gonzaga already. Gonzaga would not. So, so they're Correct. for sure out. Undefeated, so, you know, numbers are dwindling. You get that. So 15 of the 25, which uh, is going to be fun to watch. 15 of 25. That's, that's a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. So I couldn't decide where to go. I want to do uh, a football one and – I was going to do something on Tarleton State and Dixie State just because it's Tarleton State and Dixie State. But Tarleton State, why are they the only team on ESPN that on the SCF section ever have games? I don't, I don't know. I, no, I, I agree. It is very odd. I um, tried to come up with some of that, but I, I just couldn't find anything that – honestly, I don't know anything about either one of them uh, other than I've seen their scores. Does Billy Gillespie results. coach at Tarleton State? Uh, he does. He does. He does. On basketball, but, yeah. though, but you're, you're correct. And then I was thinking, well, maybe I'll go uh, Murray State or Tennessee Tech, but then I realized Murray State's 2-0, so I don't really think that's a bold prediction. So I'm going to go to the Old Faithful. Citadel is 13-point favorites oh, over God. Western Carolina. Oh, 28 or more. Oh. 28 or more. And Citadel's 0-6. They've got to get off the schneid, don't they? Western Carolina, also 0-6. Citadel, 28 or more on the road in Cullowee. When you said Old Faithful, I mean, how could you not go to very confusing, considering you are the biggest lover. Hey, now let me say this: this is the, they're going to be. They could be three and zero for the first time in like forty years. Hop on the Short train, years. man! You're going to Citadel instead. I, I am because I believe they're going to be double digit favorites. Who do they? Well, Citadel's double, double digit favorites, and you just went twenty eight or more. You doubled the spread. You know what? Hold on, give me one second. <laughs> Not hard to talk you into a VMI v- take. I don't know what it means. So, VMI's got Mercer. Break it down for me. All right, I'm going to go VMI. I just got to <laughs> figure out what's a good point total. Okay. Uh, you think about that while You I think about that. that. Let, me, let, me, let me try to do a, a tidbit of research here. Okay. See what the wise guys say so I, that I can make a bold one. I third prediction, but I do. I can fill about 30 seconds for you. North Dakota State is going to beat Illinois State by at least 50 this week. Led by... 
someone that apparently Trey Lance is playing, right? He's not just doing the whole NFL. No, Trey Lance he's is not playing. He's not playing. Yes, he is not playing. If you want to, that uh, that hurts. Okay. So, if you uh, want to, you, 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 you to give a little. He's doing the NFL draft rounds, right? Because he he's is be like a top fifteen pick. Okay. All right, VMI um, is six and a half point favorites. What if I go seventeen or more? Okay, I'll give it to you. Seventeen or more. Three possessions. I mean, they're favored by less than a t- – I mean, t- well, right at a touchdown, six and a half. So right, Trey Lance is going to return for NDSU, and they're going to beat Illinois State by 50. Okay. 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 Right. 50. Even if he I got to change this. Yeah. The Warpath. North Dakota State on the Warpath after that loss two weeks ago. One by half that last week. One by 25, I think, over, what was it, Missouri State. I'm going to be really mad when Citadel wins about 45. Yeah. I'm going to be so happy. Talked you out of the great take. Was able to redirect you over towards VMI. The manipulation of bold predictions. Brilliant. Illinois State's ranked number 22 in the country, so if you beat a team that's ranked... Yeah, they're 0-2, yeah, but, they but still, that, I, that is shocking that that would... I suppose the spring football, this is what your argument is for not doing spring football in general, right? Like, the top performers will just not play and then go do the draft stuff. Okay. Well, it, especially when you're talking about it could be a top 15 right. pick, give or take. I probably should have looked at uh, looked that up before I made Yeah, he pretty much that's said okay, for a long with, time, he I'm said he's not going to play. Yeah, I'm going. All right, we're going to recap... And we got a new segment for you on the podcast coming up on Monday or Tuesday. Santa Sidekicks. Buccaneer. Sports Network. Go Bucks. Let's get at it. <laughs>